The following podcast may contain spoilers for the movie The Departed. Act accordingly. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes and try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is Martin Scorsese's The Departed. So, dear listeners, when I was younger, I was told I could be a podcaster or a radio host. Today, what I'm saying to you is this. When you're facing down a microphone, what's the difference? Let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as always, are Ben, Gaz and Craig, in their guise as the panel of peril, who will compete at the end of the show to see who can improve the villainous plot of the week and earn the honour of picking next week's film and become host. Let's start the discussion off this week by asking the panel, what is your favourite GIF featuring a member of the cast of The Departed? And we shall start with Gaz. My favourite GIF from The Departed is a little-known GIF of Jack Nicholson with a mad smile on his face, nodding (laughs) slowly. (laughs) You know, I thought it might be. I'm wondering... If all of these gifts will be of Jack Nicholson in some way. No, mine is not Jack Nicholson. Oh. Nor is mine. Ah, ah. what you know. You surprise me. <laughs> so my favourite gif featuring cast member from The Departed is Jack Nicholson. But it's Jack Nicholson in The Shining, where he's sitting in the hotel bar and he just bursts out in maniacal laughter. All right. Don't think I've ever seen that used as a gif. I absolutely love it. Uh, no, I don't think that's, that's new to me. If I haven't seen it, it's new to me. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Craig, and my favourite GIF featuring a cast member from The Departed is Leonardo DiCaprio from The Wolf of Wall Street, where he rolls his hair, eyes back into his head and bites his fist. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite GIF is one of Mark Wahlberg and um, from another movie, and he's basically got his hair slicked back, and he's shouting, shut your fat hole at Will Ferrell. <laughs> I thought you might have said he's hanging dong. <laughs> <laughs> the other guys, is that the movie? I think it's from Daddy's Home, or Daddy's Home 2. Okay, right, yeah. Wow, they've, uh, they're frequent collaborators, I see. I think they've got a similar sense of humour. Do we all pronounce it as GIF, or is there any sort of preference for GIF? Well, the guy who created it, his preference is for GIF. Yeah. But nobody gives a shit. Nobody gifts a shit. (laughs) 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 The Departed is a remake of the 2002 Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs, rewritten to be set in Boston, Massachusetts. It centres around the criminal activities of Irish mob boss Frank Costello, who plants a mole, Sullivan, within the Massachusetts State Police to tip him off. Meanwhile, the police task their own undercover officer, Costigan, to infiltrate Costello's crew to finally bring the gangsters to justice. The film eventually turns into a suspenseful thriller when both organisations realise they have a rat and the race to identify them heats up. The Departed was released on the 6th of October 2006 in the United States and features a stellar cast including Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin, Martin Sheen, Vera Farmiga and Ray Winston. Directed by Martin Scorsese and produced by Brad Pitt, it achieved both critical and commercial success. On opening weekend, the film grossed $27 million and was the third Scorsese film to reach number one spot. The Departed would go on to bag almost $300 million worldwide against its initial production cost of $90 million. The film marks a departure for Scorsese, as his typical fare is mainly historical films. The soundtrack features The Rolling Stones, The Beach Boys, Roger Waters, Badfinger, The Allman Brothers Band, and my particular favourite, The Dropkick Murphys, and their song, Shipping Up to Boston. Departed would be Scorsese's first Academy Award for Best Director, and it was presented to him by legendary greats such as Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. It also won Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Editing. 
World events of 2006 include the New Horizon probe is launched by NASA on one of the first missions to Pluto. In July, Twitter is launched, becoming one of the largest social media platforms in the world and three quarters of this podcast's favorite means of social communication. At the 2006 Academy Awards, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Reese Witherspoon win their Best Actor categories for Capote and Walk the Line. Best Picture went to Crash, which also won Best Original Screenplay. Also at the Oscars, Man Bear Pig conspiracy theorist Al Gore and the rest of his team win Best Documentary for An Inconvenient Truth. Once again this week, the diabolical postbag has been full to bursting with requests for more yeah or meh, the fantastically original and patented film rating segment from yours truly. So, can we please have a yeah or meh from the panel for these notable films of 2006? Yeah. Boy, is it a good year for, for films. No. <laughs> it was, I was looking through the films and I was like, well, there's quite a few good ones there. So, um, yeah, so... First of all, we'll start with an absolute doozy. Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. 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 The Prestige. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got David Bowie in it, you know. Yeah, I know. I, I did watch it once and I, yeah, it was fine. I enjoyed it, yeah. I liked it. I can't remember Bowie being in it, though, so. Really? He plays Tesla. I think it's Christopher Nolan's third best film. <laughs> <laughs> High praise. What, behind Tenet and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> behind Dunkirk and Inception. Oh, ah. Dunkirk, eh? Yes. I think it's better than both of those. Even though the Spitfire's flying around with no engine. Dramatic license. Dramatic my dick. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Nolan scoffs at gravity. <laughs> Petrol! Is this the return of Say What You Like About Christopher Nolan? After a long absence. <laughs> yes! <laughs> the much-anticipated return. I was, I was hoping to segue into it somehow. <laughs> I've combined the two features, you see, like that synergy. Silky smooth. <laughs> Next film, uh, Apocalypto. Uh, yeah. Meh. Haven't seen it. Never seen You've it? never seen Apocalypto? No. no. It's very good. It's very good. And I forgot it came come out that year. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's very good. I think I went to cinema to see it as well. Yeah, I think I did. I think it was hard work. Yeah, I won't deny that it's hard work, but I did enjoy it. It pays off, though, for sure. Borat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. And I would probably say my favourite film from this year, Casino Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Meh. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Love Casino Royale. Yeah. I've saved the very best for last. Snakes on a plane. Do you know what? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, I haven't seen it. You've never seen it? <laughs> I charge you all to see it. I got what I needed to from the title. And the trailer. <laughs> Possibly the trailer. I can't remember if I saw the trailer, to be honest. But also my main abiding memory of it is that it was written like by committee, by I think like IMDB forum members who fed back and said this is what it should be and this is what Samuel Jackson has to say and I thought fuck that that's going to be atrocious and it is it's deliciously terrible in a way it's one of those films you watch it once and then you don't need to watch it again well maybe what you need to do is suggest it for the for the podcast you got to get into the mind of a snake to uh to do the plot yeah well I haven't seen it but I'm assuming the snakes are put on the plane by somebody and they don't just they're not just passengers no no they don't free will they've got they've got their own passports and everything <laughs> <They> got tickets <laughs> <laughs> what do you think listeners are these films deserving of their yeah or mayor rating do you have an honorable mention that you would like to have included you of course can vent your opinions at us in all the usual social media places at diabolical pod and perhaps if you suggest a film we'll give you a yeah or mayor in return Perhaps, perhaps we just won't pay any attention. <laughs> Without any further ado, I would like to ask the panel what they thought of the... the, the... Uh, aren't you glad I didn't say Bene? Aren't you glad I didn't say Bene? <laughs> Bene? <laughs> <laughs>
So, without any further ado, I'd like to ask the panel what they thought of The Departed. Ben, as you've most recently been to Boston yourself, can you give us your thoughts on the film, please? I did enjoy it, but what I will say is, as I've got older, I've moved away more, kind of more and more from kind of crime and police thrillers. I think they're very gun-totingly violent, and it just gets a bit samey for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I did enjoy this one. It's just, uh, I don't know. I think I'm just a bit boring in my old age, but um, <laughs> I just find these kind of things dull now. Mm. There's enough misery in the world, and I think I don't want to watch more in films. Fair comment. And this was a particularly miserable ending. It's like, uh, bit of a downer. I think that ending is a, an upper for me. That is a moment of triumph. The, the hated character getting his comeuppance. Mm. And I think there's a lot more going on in this movie than gun violence. Yeah, there is. I think it's one of Scorsese's, of his crime sort of films, I think it's one of his less violent ones. Yeah. In that genre, you know. So I wouldn't strongly disagree with you, but I would partially disagree with you on that. It's certainly less graphic than, say, you know, Casino or yes. Goodfellas. And Gangs of New York. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen them for a few years, so I wonder how I'd do with them these days. I think I'd struggle, probably. But in my mind, Goodfellas is a much better movie than The Departed. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Too. Oh, yeah, mm. it's, yeah. I was quite surprised that The Departed got the Oscar. It's an oversight Oscar, isn't it? This is what I was going to get to is with you guys. I was going to ask you, I've got it written down here. Do we think that Scorsese should have had the best director at an earlier point in his career, or is it inconsequential? Several times over, uh, you got Goodfellas, you got Raging Bull. Yeah, and that's what the Academy thought, and that's why. So, if if you all could choose one Scorsese flick pre two thousand and six, what's your picks? Raging Bull. Yeah, it'd be Raging Bull. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, Raging Bull that that lost out to Ordinary People, which I haven't heard of. Yeah, I mean, one of those movies is talked about today, and one of them is probably talked about by a, a small handful of people right so mm -hmm. and goodfellas lost out to dances with wolves which is bonkers to me mm. i don't know i think i'd agree with that it's such a vanity project that kevin costner one it's was it like four hours of kevin costner mincing around in a field essentially mincing around in a field yeah i should have won the oscar <laughs> <laughs> mincing <laughs> But there's definitely an element of the Academy recognised that and, you know, The Departed was less to do with that than his career as a whole. Yeah, they've done it so many times in the past. Hitchcock never won a proper Oscar. He won the honorary Oscar, to which he simply said thank you and left the stage. <laughs> Kubrick never won. Yeah. Spielberg, of course, has several times over deservedly. Yeah. They're just absolutely... I don't know what they are, whether... They're quite sentimental at times. They don't go for the harder-edged films. Mm -hmm. They're a group of old men who don't appreciate current styles and trends, I suppose. They need a younger intake to the Academy. But I mean, Scorsese's hardly groundbreaking in that in that respect. He's not like a, a head of the curve. He, he makes movies in quite a classical style, I yeah. think. Mm. Yeah, but his filmmaking techniques, are, they are classical, but... Because they're so classical these days, they feel quite cutting edge. If you look at a Marvel film, it's shot reverse shot. The camera's uh, plonk there, whereas Scorsese is kind of um, montage editing. And in The Departed particularly, you know, you've got freeze frames during the gunfight and Iris in, Iris out. Yeah. The opening montage was excellent. I've got that as a, one of my highlights with the uh, Rolling Stones soundtrack in it. Absolutely loved that. Mm, give me shelter. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack is awesome. I didn't love the Iris in, Iris out. I made a note of that, actually. <laughs> I'm ambivalent towards it. it. It is odd. It was just pointless. It didn't didn't add anything to it for me. And then the other one is, I, I know that it's a, a, a Scorsese trope, like the flashbacks and slides for exposition, but when a character vocalises the title of the movie... There's a zoom in on him saying The Departed, and I thought it was fucking silly as shit. All it was missing was a sound effect. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> There's that zoom in on the title of the film, and also I just wanted to talk about the um, the mysterious symbolism behind the, the final shot of the film. It zooms out on a, a shot from Matt Damon character's apartment to a ledge and a rat 
runs over the ledge. I was just yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely baffled as to what that symbolism could possibly be. <laughs> Quite a uh, quite a bleak and mysterious to me. It's cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the cleanest rat I've ever seen as well. I've got to say, <laughs> I think Scorsese does does uh, explain it, but I uh, I haven't written it down because um, there's a couple. Of, there's a few other. Unfortunately. He's being sarcastic, Turner. <laughs> I think Turner was as well. Oh, I don't think he was. <laughs> We've been sarcastic, there, Turner. I might have been, maybe. Oh, phew. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. <laughs> before we move on too far from that opening montage yeah i love the young matt damon the young sullivan he was spot on he looked yeah. exactly like matt damon yeah. freaked me out he's uh scorsese's grandson ah he was spot on gaz what are your immediate notes have you written i enjoy it um it's not aged as well as i thought it would have but that, that's just personal taste changing more than any comment on the quality of the, the film itself. I think it moves along at a good clip. The dialogue is by turns excellent, like quite snappy, particularly between mm. Matt Damon and Vera Farmiga in their first meet cute in the lift. I think that's really good. But then at other times, it comes across as quite clunky, particularly like when the cops are insulting one another and they're just calling each other faggots and pussies, which I realise is probably mm. how yeah. these kinds of people mm. talk, but... Yeah. When when you put that on film, it, it doesn't come across great. It's the beats, isn't it? It's the beats. Mm. Yeah, it's the the guy. They had a like um, you know an advisor on the set who was a thirty year cop, basically with the Massachusetts State Police. So he was advising them on all all that kind of stuff. So it was him who was saying this is the kind of thing they do. Yeah. You want to smoke? You don't smoke, huh? What are you a fitness freak? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. That's one of my favorite lines. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Alec Baldwin's uh, very good. I wish that guy would have given him some training on accents because, Christ, some of the accents were terrible. It's a, it's a smorgasbord. <laughs> Alec Baldwin's is really good. It's not. DiCaprio's, I think, is is intentionally bad <laughs> because the idea is that he tries to hide it, right? Mm, mm. That's, that's the Warburg conversation. says to him at the start of the film, he says, you bet you had a different accent, didn't you, you lace curtain motherfucker or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's fine. <laughs> I've been to Boston like four or five times. I've never heard anyone speak like any of those people. Warburg and Damon both grew up in Boston. Yeah. Mm. And obviously he did the Ted movies where he plays much more of a Boston, uh, Bostonite, whatever you want to call them, so, or Southie. And obviously Matt, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck do that in uh, Good Will Hunting. By far the worst is Ray Winstone. The man oh, is God, utterly yeah. incapable of doing an accent apart from his own. <laughs> his accent in Black Widow as well, where he's meant to be a Russian baddie. It's just slips literally every half word back to... What? What a fucking hell, comrade. Oisky, <laughs> fucking poisky. <laughs> When I, w- I remember watching it for the first time, I couldn't reconcile myself with Ray Winston being in it when I first saw it. I thought, what the hell is he doing here? Why? I just thought he must have just been, must know Scorsese somehow, and he's just managed to go, oh, can I be in your film? And he's gone, oh, yeah, fuck it, get in. You know, like Vinnie Jones was doing at the time, he kept jumping into loads of different films, and he was just the same in every flick. I just found it odd, odd piece of casting. One thing about Ray Winstone in the film is I really like his look. He looks like a scuzzy, greasy, horrible mob guy. Yeah. <laughs> he really, he really yeah, looks He does good. that well. Yeah, yeah when, he's, when he's beating up that fella and his hair's like wild all over the place. Yeah. And then he just like slicks it all back. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Horrible, greasy yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah. Craig, what uh, what's your notes? There's a whole load of examples uh, of trying to present Matt Damon's character as some kind of slut. Like he's there's a there's a long close up of a, a woman's butt walking past him and he's staring at it and I just there's no real payoff for that, I don't think. I didn't understand why all that was included. He's imp- impotent as well, isn't he? So Oh yeah. Yeah. It's about the duality of man. The face that we present to the public and who we really are in our private moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The flaccid penis, and he even even says about it, doesn't he? Because Alec Baldwin says your dick work, and he goes, "Oh yeah, it definitely works. Working overtime." Yeah, glad to hear. So that I got that in one of my favorite lines, oh, and, and this is what I was. This is no, that's fine. This is what I was going to bring up actually. Why I think Damon 
act rings around DiCaprio in this. They're kind of the dual leads, if you like. Mm. But I think Matt Damon, I think he his performance is better than DiCaprio's in this. And it's because when he delivers things like that line where he's talking about the overtime, there's a layer to it, if you know what I mean. Mm. You feel that he's overcompensating, but only just a, a tad. So he, he kind of gets away with it in the world of the film. But you also feel that kind of slight discomfort. Whereas I think with DiCaprio's performance all the way through, it's kind of one layer, which which is fine. Mm. You know, you see, he's kind of, you know, he's lying at certain points, but you don't feel that he's struggling as much. Mm. Mm. But yeah. I think Damon just gives these little glimpses and I think he does it so well. I'd agree with that. Yes. I did like both performances, but I I loved DiCaprio's performance just as much as I loved uh, Matt Damon's and just the way he's he's hysterical at some points. And then at others, he's just like raising his eyebrows and furrowing his brow and stuff. And he's trying to keep it all down. And then when he obviously gets a chance, he's, he goes nuts and he's like, he's just on the edge at the time. And he's just going to, it looks like he's going to implode at so many different points. But I totally agree. Damon's portrayal of this slimy rat cop and stuff is hard to dislike in a lot of films. And in this film, he just, everything he does is just like, ugh. You know, he, he, he does make you... Makes your skin crawl. Yeah, he, he really does. But he, he says all the stuff, you know, like um, unpopular people who who shit all over people do. He he, he must have tuned yeah. into... He must have had the experience of that and tuned into it and, and took that into the I film. Think he's excellent. Yeah, yeah, he is fantastic. Yeah. But I think all of them really, cast really, do a, a great job. Accents and stuff aside, I think it is, uh, you know, fantastic. Yeah. I just think David showed a little bit more complexity and a, a, a bit more depth in his character than DiCaprio. That's just yeah. how I felt. And especially that line you just mentioned about his libido working overtime. <laughs> I think he de- he delivered that so well. Mm. It was just, yeah, that really caught my attention. Mm. So I, I don't sit there watching a film looking for continuity errors, which why in this film, a few jumped out at me. I thought perhaps they were incredibly sloppy. Did anyone else notice a few of those? That's one of Scorsese's usual techniques to to not match continuity, to suggest a fracturing of the mind for the character. He uses it quite often. It's There's a lot of it in Goodfellas. Mm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Unreliable narrator in Goodfellas, though, isn't it? Whereas Departed doesn't really have one. Well, it, it needn't necessarily be narrated to reflect the editing. Well, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Well, that's an interesting concept then, because I just thought it was sloppy. There's like one where the cousin's smoking and then he's not. There's one where... Matt Damon rubs a blood smear on his mobile and then the next scene it's clean and there's one that I'm I'm betting you didn't notice that I did. I'll I'll be willing to put money on the fact that that you didn't notice the one I noticed. Go on. Well, so at the start it's like there's a whole like 70s vibe isn't there with the music and and the setup when he first encounters the the young Colin and he gives him a, a comic and that comic is Wolverine number 11 from 1989. Ooh, zingdom. <laughs> <laughs> that is the sign of a fractured mind. Yours, Craig, for knowing that. Yeah, yours. <laughs> Somebody else's, that's it. <laughs> that's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Completely took me out of it. Couldn't take it seriously after could, that. Could you also tell us how, how much uh, mint condition one of those would be worth today? <laughs> Uh, only because I looked it up and I saw it on eBay. <laughs> yeah, I, when I when I saw it, I was like, "Wonder what issue of Wolverine that is." <laughs> if you're going to write a points of a points of view letter to the BBC, how would it go? Dear BBC, wow. why oh why oh. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite line that we haven't already said so far. How's your mother? She's on her way out. We all are. Act accordingly. <laughs> I've got that Lucky too. Great. Yeah, that was, that was my, <laughs> I think that's my favourite one in the whole movie. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great. It's just delivered so, so well. Brilliant. And then my other one is <laughs> when that guy gets shot and he goes, I thought I was supposed to go into shock. It hurts. <laughs> 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 there's one and I think it's when Leonardo DiCaprio's character is meeting Martin Sheen's character and uh, Mark Wahlberg's character for the first time they're discussing about him going undercover and they go uh, do you know do you have an idea of what we do he's like yeah I think I have an idea Wahlberg's character goes, if you had an idea of what we do we wouldn't be good at what we do would we 
we'd be cunts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You call us cunts. <laughs> he is so fucking great, by the way. When Mark Wahlberg shows up, he's amazing. makes a big impact in a short time. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. He's he's an extremely strong character, and, and yeah, I think it's his best performance. And buddying him up with Martin Sheen as well, together the way they play so off good. each other. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. And then just one more for me: treat FBI agents like mushrooms, feed them shit, and keep them in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Alec Baldwin's character. That's very good. Did we leave any for Gaz? Not really got too many written down. I've got, um, yeah, the like I said previously, the meet cute with Matt Damon and Vera Farmiga in the lift when she's leaving. She offers him his card and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's good. I'm a cop, I'll find you. No, nah, just kidding, I need the card. <laughs> yeah. Quite nicely written and played. Yeah. And I'm not sure what point it comes in the film. It's a line from Leonardo DiCaprio he says, of the cops, they signed up to use their weapons, except they watch enough TV to know they have to weep. I thought it was uh, quite pointed and rang true. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've got one one more good one. It's another Dignam one. The first bust when they um, Costello's selling those uh, microchips to the Chinese guys and the cameras have been put in the wrong place. Dignam's complaining. He's like, this is unbelievable. Who put the fucking cameras in this place? And then the camera tech goes to him, who the fuck are you? And he goes, I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> I like that. I thought that some of the bits in some of, the, some of that to and fro is really good. It's not dialogue, but attached to that same bit, it's I would love a gif of how Alec Baldwin punches that tech guy. It's so weird. <laughs> it's like he like swivels his entire yeah, body around yeah. to punch this guy. It's, it's the most bizarre screen punch I've ever seen. I've always loved it since the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a line, but it's something I loved for the film. And it's at the funeral at the end. There's a guy standing behind Sullivan. And every time the gun salute goes off, he's just jumping out of his skin. (laughs) 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 I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that now. (laughs) Presumably he was directed to do that. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, I don't know. I assumed so. Otherwise they could have cut around it. Probably. Because he's pretty much framed in the centre, isn't he? He's over Sullivan's left shoulder, and then there's a couple of people over the right shoulder. Mm. And they're not, I think they maybe blink a little bit, but Mm. they're not jumping like this guy. Never heard a gun before in his life as a cop. (laughs) There's a good dialogue that I haven't written down, so I don't know it verbatim, but when they're playing golf and he's talking about why marriage is good for your career, but I can't remember what the line is, so I don't know why I've written ha-ha after it. You've written your reaction instead of the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assumed I'd remember it, but I obviously have. The scene where Jack Nicholson is tossing cocaine around is fucking ridiculous. It's crazy, it's isn't it? It's like he's making a cake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like... The great Boston Bake Off. Yeah. <laughs> he is scary as fuck when he's talking about the rat. He's so good. Especially doing that annoying thing that he does. Just that scene is so tense. He's amazing in that. I was going to say, that's one of my favourite Jack Nicholson performances, I've got to say. I think he's amazing. It's really weird that he uh, has that dildo in the theatre. I I found the script online and it's in the script. Well, I remember at the time that they must have inserted that as like a shooting script detail because I remember in the pre-publicity, Scorsese saying that he had to tell uh matt damon that yeah jack wants to play this scene with the black dildo <laughs> matt damon's like okay <laughs> that's what jack wants to do <laughs> can i just introduce a, a very short new segment Yes, of course. We're all about new segments. It's a very short new segment where I scroll through the names in the credits and find one that's mildly amusing. Okay. <laughs> I'm calling it my favourite name from the credits. Oh okay, snappy. You're opening like a it. can of worms here because literally anytime me and Emma watch a film or TV show together, we sit through the credits and we just say the names to each other and have a little giggle. So. Oh, bring it on, baby. Bring it on. I like bring it. it on. I like it. This has got legs, this thing. Now... A lesser man would have spotted Thelma Schoonmaker, Ooh. Oscar-winning editor and longtime Scorsese collaborator. 
They'd have seen that and been satisfied. Not me. I thought if we've got gold like Schoonmaker so early on, there's bound to be more nuggets further down. So I, I carried on. So I scrolled on past, uh, past Bruno Robotti in the art department, <laughs> past Bobby Beckles in stunts, <laughs> until there in the costume department in charge of wardrobe for Mr. DiCaprio, the one, the mildly amusing Cookie Lopez. Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Cookie Lopez, well done. Inaugural winner, yeah. <laughs> Did anybody hear... Not long after The Departed came out, the the chatter about a potential sequel with Robert De Niro as a, a corrupt senator and Dignam taking him down. That was the concept that I remember reading about. Obviously never happened. No, Scorsese turned it down straight away. <laughs> oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he turned it down straight away. He, he, said, he, he said he had no interest in making a sequel to it. I suppose he's never sequelized his own films, has he? The, the only sequel he's ever done is um, Color of Money, which was sequel to... Hustler. Hustler, that's it, yeah. Which some other cunt directed, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite a beloved film, isn't it? I don't like it. It's my favourite book, and I don't like the movie. It makes a huge fundamental change from the book that I just really don't like at all. Is it in the book he plays Hungry Hungry Hippos, but in the film it's Paul? Oh, you have read it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when everything goes down, how does... Sullivan get away with not calling in Officer Down when he's manning the radios and everything. Nobody sort of picks him up on that. And we, I thought we've been we've gone past this because normally we do the quotes and then we go into the plot. Yeah, you've left it way too late. Way too late. Did you fall asleep? <laughs> we've gone through the lines. We've gone past the new feature. My yeah. favourite name in the credits. Christ, Craig. But in answer to the question, when something like that usually happens, a wizard did it. <laughs> A wizard did it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost for words, he's so pissed off. <laughs> I did say any other... I, I think I, I give a couple of opportunities in each segment for people to add things that they hadn't said before. All right. Fire away, if you want to put something in now, mate. I blew a guy on the way over here. How's that? <laughs> Is that Hank? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just Craig's pre-pod ritual. <laughs> Calm the nerves. Is that how you warm up your vocal cords? <laughs> Oil them. <laughs> it seems the hobbits are like trying to be more Irish now than they were yeah, in the yeah. original one. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I think it's because they've travelled. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah, I liked it. And they've got like leaves and shit in their hair yeah yeah, yeah. it's great <laughs> even though he wasn't involved in the project you feel like peter jackson's influence on it all for sure um but then there's the other bits and stuff like that and then the departed <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the departed sorry we're this it's this is a the probably the, the one of the biggest tv events in the last in your life 15 yeah. 20 years yeah my life yeah the last one I can think of was the live EastEnders episode. <laughs> or the first With Prince Charles in it, yeah? <laughs> that time when Coronation Street was on twice in the same night. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, actually, it's just behind that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Departed. What's I next? I tell you what I didn't know. I didn't know that Martin Fowler is back in EastEnders and it's a different actor playing him now. Ooh. And he's going to be in Strictly Come Dancing this year. Right, the villain's plot, I'm giving it, I'm giving it, it was pretty, it's pretty dastardly, I'm giving it eight florets of broccoli, eight <laughs> florets of broccoli, let's go, next. <laughs> Gaz, any thoughts? In a world, diabolical, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs>
Costello's plan to successfully infiltrate the police so that he's one step ahead of the game is ultimately foiled by the very person he put there. How ironic. Could our panel's plans usurp Costello and become king of Boston? It's time to find out. Craig, what have you got for us? I hope you're not turning into one of those sob sisters who wants to get caught, asks Costello, querying Sullivan's odd choice of a porno theatre as the venue for their face-to-face. Costello professes to be worried that any cop could witness the meeting, but quickly reassures Sullivan that it's not a genuine concern since he owns the place. Perhaps, as a cinephile, if Costello had screened something other than Debbie Does Dallas, he may have had an epiphany about his situation. For one thing, if he'd seen Howard Hawks' Scarface, he may have recognised the cross motif all around the marked men in his circle, symbolising that they live their lives in the crosshairs, foreshadowing some who will be double-crossed. But the film he really should have paid attention to was the 2002 Hong Kong action thriller Infernal Affairs, <laughs> which had a limited distribution in the USA in 2004 thanks to Miramax. Then he may have taken away some valuable lessons. For example, Infernal Affairs opens and closes with teachings of Buddha that describe the notion of continuous hell, where one can never reincarnate nor be relieved from guilt and suffering. Yes, Frank should have become a Buddhist. (laughs) Initially, the five precepts of Buddhism may seem at odds with Costello's worldview. One, refrain from taking life. Two, refrain from taking what is not given. Three, refrain from the misuse of the senses. Four, refrain from wrong speech. And five, refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. However, Frank has already explained to Costigan that he no longer cares particularly for money or carnal pleasures, explaining that he does what he does because he enjoys it. The issue is that in the world, police are always trying to spoil his fun. He should really reconsider his position on wanting to get caught. He should make a deal with the cops to flip on every connection he has in exchange for a plum spot in a cushy facility to serve out his sentence. He can give up his earthly possessions and focus on his spirituality in prison, where he would be God. As a real piece of shit, he could find ways around the five precepts. He could beat people within an inch of their life and have one of his fellow inmates perform the coup de grace. He doesn't need to steal. He can demand to be given what he wants. He's not interested in sex at his age, so he can just watch others engage. He doesn't need to lie or gossip about anyone while in prison because everyone knows everything that goes on. And finally, while he seems to prefer throwing coke at people than taking it himself, if he does enjoy the odd bump he can justify it by affirming that it clarifies rather than clouds his mind. So there you go. That's what I think he should have done. So he, he is or he isn't a Buddhist. I... <laughs> he, he is, but his, his take on Buddhism is what his take on Buddhism would be because he's such a cunt. Right. I'm a Buddhist now. Give me a goddamn break, huh? So it's like <laughs> um, when he when he's calling out the Catholic priests for um, yeah. 12-year-old boys and stuff. So his, that's... So he's become the Catholic priest of the Buddhist world. I think Buddhism's quite different from Catholicism, but essentially it's that he feels that because he doesn't care about money or possessions or sex anymore, that he his lifestyle's perfectly in keeping with Buddhism in his mind, and that you know becoming God in prison would be a better life than the one he has now of looking over his shoulder. And he can kind of use it as a, a shield against people who criticize him. So, oh, I'm a Buddhist now. I don't partake exactly. in all that shit anymore. I feel he's exactly that kind of cunt. Okay. Do you think that um, Costello would sit down and watch a film from Hong Kong? Particularly one, uh, you know, that's that's also based on it, basically his life and he's starring in... What I think... Well, this happened... This came out before these events, so that's what I'm saying. But I think the reason he would watch Infernal Affairs is because, as I said earlier, it was distributed in the USA by Miramax... And I think Harvey Weinstein is exactly the sort of cunt that would be friends with Frank Costello. <laughs> They've probably had coke parties together. You might have known Whitey Bulger, who is uh, Costello's, that's Costello's character, isn't it? It's based loosely around Whitey Bulger. So there you go. Very good. Right. Um, ben, would you like to go next? I'd love to. So the problem with Costello's plan is that he placed Sullivan under way too much pressure. There was never going to be a happy ending. The poor guy was a ticking time bomb, destined to crack. 
which is a shame because Sullivan had so much gooey potential. Potential I would have harnessed in a very different and far more effective way. As demonstrated the first time we meet him as a youngster, and by the enormous dessert he orders on his date with Madeline, Sullivan has a sweet tooth the size of Roy Winston's gallbladder, <laughs> i.e. massive. <laughs> I would harness that love of sweets and his undeniable potential by sending him to patissier school, <laughs> where he'd learn the mystic art of sweet making, specialising in every self-respecting cop's favourite delicacy, donuts. <laughs> After his graduation, top of his class, creamy come loudly, we'd set up a shop for him nearby the police station. It would be called Squeaky Clean Sully's Wholesome Family Donut Emporium. <laughs> And it would have a huge sign out front saying 50% off for all serving officers. Strictly no rats. <laughs> <laughs> Finally fulfilling his almost limitless potential, Sully would make the finest donuts in all of Boston. The secret? Shitloads of butter, sugar, and whatever else tastes amazing but is a calorific, cholesterol-inducing nightmare. No cop in the precinct would be able to resist especially with that mouth-watering combo of value and deliciousness. <laughs> they would shovel them down by the bucket load. By now, Barrigan, another high-potential rat-in-waiting, will have finished medical school, specialising in heart surgery. We all remember Barrigan, right? He's the other, the other guy that, uh, that Sully shoots at the end, the, the other rat. Upon his graduation from medical school, we'd open a little hospital next door to the donut shop. It would be called... St. Barrigan's Wholesome Family Heart Repair. There would be a big sign outside saying, 50% off for all serving officers. Strictly no rats. <laughs> As the greedy, sugar-addicted, donut-scoffing cops succumb to heart-related illnesses, they would drag themselves a few feet across the pavement where Barrigan would offer to patch them up. You're going to need a pacemaker he'd chuckle at the wheezing officer on the ground. Desperate to stay alive, the cops would agree, and Barrigan would fit a pacemaker secretly modified with a recording device. <laughs> I'm confident that within a matter of weeks, every cop in the precinct would be transmitting their every move to my team of dedicated listeners. I'd be ten steps ahead of the game, and free to indulge in any criminal activity I care to. Jaywalking, petty vandalism, fly-tipping... The world would be my oyster. All right. Here's what I think uh, a conversation would sound like being picked up by a pacemaker. <laughs> These are high definition audio pacemakers, just to clarify. <laughs> and are they, are they fitted inside the heart or no? <laughs> <laughs> There'd be an antenna coming out of the uh, just out of the wound. I was going to say I, that's a pretty tight tight plot. As far as I'm concerned, should we move on to gas? <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I got one, <laughs> one other one other note about it, which is that it's kind of a, the long game, right? I mean, waiting for someone to grow up and graduate cop school is one thing, but then waiting for cops to develop heart problems from eating donuts <laughs> is something else. No, that would take weeks. These would be loaded, cholesterol-loaded donuts. I don't think it'd take that long. Yeah, it wouldn't take long. <laughs> I noticed um, you have um, quite a penchant for um, picking uh, like local businesses in your plots so far. I think we've had a, a delicatessen. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had this bakery and then a, a local heart surgeon. So it's like you seem to be the, you seem to be an entrepreneur. Hashtag bring back the high street. <laughs> Hashtag buy local. I'm buy local curious. <laughs> Gaz, can we please have your devious plan? An article in The Guardian dated August 27th, 2020 details the manner in which the American police forces have been infiltrated by right-wing militias and white supremacist groups. The article was commissioned in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement following the police murder of unarmed George Floyd, as well as unarmed Javier Ambler, unarmed Breonna Taylor, unarmed George Robinson, and literally hundreds of others. I'll put a link in the show notes to a horrifying list of names of murdered civilians if you'd like to take in the scope. 
Anyway, in the Guardian piece, former FBI special agent Michael German is quoted as saying, far-right militants are allowed to engage in violence and walk away while protesters are met with violent police actions. This negligent response, he added, empowers violent groups in dangerous and potentially lethal ways. The most violent elements within these far-right militant groups believe that their conduct is sanctioned by the government and therefore they're much more willing to come out and engage in acts of violence against protesters. And so I ask you, what better way is there to gain the police's confidence, to gain the inside track on their movements and intelligence, or lack thereof, than to join or start your own racist right-wing militia? You will need the following items. Combat pants with loads of pockets. Think Rob Liefeld drawing Deadpool. A gun jammed into every available orifice. Your buddy can squeeze a Glock up your butthole. <laughs> Download that all-important Punisher skull symbol as your smartphone wallpaper. Stars and stripes, upside down, black and white, thin blue line, but don't you dare disrespect my flag. Pro-Donald Trump signs in your front yard. And this is a real, real sign that I found on Pinterest now. Bear that in mind, this is real. So Donald Trump is mentally ill? Perhaps we need a few more mentally ill people in Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Not what they're saying about Brandon now, though, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Blue Lives Matter. A good look for Colin Sullivan and a winning formula for Frank Costello. (laughs) Good luck if you understood that, Turner. (laughs) Yeah, I I had as much trouble following that as I did on your one on speed. (laughs) I'm still not sure what what's happening in Gaz's plan here. <laughs> I think I, I was able to follow the uh, Wrath of Khan one more closely than that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of actually infiltrating the police by having someone become a policeman, mm. it's starting a right-wing militia to gain the police's confidence and gain access to their intelligence and movements that way. That's the gist of it. Do they share their intelligence with right-wing militias, or do they just recruit from them? Well, they had to, like I, I understand what Gaz is getting out there because at the time when um, they were doing these raids and stuff, at the time they had the uh, like SWAT teams and stuff posing for for photos, and they were doing apparently that's like a or was it that way? It's the white power symbol. It's upside down, isn't it? It's WP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had basically like a dozen blokes all sit there in their police uniforms and there's about half a dozen of them all doing that thing. What year was this? This was only during the lockdown and then when obviously at the time... Exactly, exactly. When was Departed released? But it's... It's something that's always been there, which has only yes. just come to light through yeah. the use of smartphones and so forth. I don't dispute that, but what I'm asking is, so the police sharing an ideology with a right-wing militia hmm. isn't the same thing as the police sharing intel with a right-wing militia? Yes. So <laughs> although I believe the police do have right-wing opinions... Some of those that were in forces were the same that burning crosses. Yes. What... What, what does that mean? Rage Against the Machine. No, I know. <laughs> Killing in the name of. I can't believe they've gone political, Rage Against the Machine. They've gone woke. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm never listening to any of their songs ever again. <laughs> but no, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. It's been going on for a long time, uh, well before the civil rights movement. No, I, I don't dispute this. What I'm saying is that's not the same as the police telling a right-wing militia, uh, we're, we're, um, we're tailing this car. Which just sort of call you up and let you know, we're tailing this car, we're doing this bust on this guy, Costello. Don't know if that's useful for you to know. They've done that with the clan in the past, though. They've, they've let the clan know what they've been up to. The best possible answer I can give to any queries you might have over the, the veracity of my plan is cope. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about this? This is my response to your cope. Cry more. <laughs> is that a mountain? I'm going to drink your lib tears. <laughs> anyway, it does. It doesn't matter because Tony, I've won. So let's just get it over with. <laughs> so there we are. We've heard all the plans. Craig's plan was to turn. Costello into a super grass Buddhist who would use his uh, newfound religion to shield himself from any sort of criticism. Ben's simple plan was to start a local patisserie 
and local heart surgery uh, in order to install listening devices in unwitting cops. Gaz's quite sober plan at the start was to build a right-wing militia who would get information from the police. So I like them all. I like the fact that Craig's plan, I could see it kind of happening. And we've seen it before uh, in multiple religions where they, they use their religion as a shield uh, or to say, because I'm a practicing X, Y, Z, that means I'm a good person. So I like that. Gaz, I totally get where you're coming from. And like I said, like we've just been discussing, it's been going on for such a long time and it's probably the most believable plan that we've got. But this week's winner is Ben because his plan is literally delicious. And that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> and the other thing it has in common with donuts, it's full of holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Beautiful. At least his pie is sweet and not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, as this week's winner, what are you going to uh, pick for next week's film? So for next week, we'll be watching a film from way back in 1998 when we all graduated high school. Ooh. It's a neo-noir crime film written, produced, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Oh. Have you guessed what it is yet? Oh, I think I have. I think so. The Big Lebowski. Oh, yes. Ah, The Big Lebowski. Yeah, Big Lebowski. Yeah, The Big Lebowski. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. We hoped you enjoyed yourselves as much as we did. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to tell your friends in person and in social media. It helps us out massively. You can also follow us across social media. Just search for at DiabolicalPod. Until the next time, dear friends, bye for now.